three, two, one. Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, and I am predicting that this is going to be the worst episode we've ever done. You're really setting us off on a good foot. I like to undersell and over-deliver. That's the voice you're hearing is Chris Nee joining me. Uh, the noise you're hearing over Chris Nee is Josh Newberg, who's joining us from a dimly lit room in St. Petersburg, evidently. Hi, Josh. Hi. Yeah, so Josh and I are playing injured. Chris is the healthiest one out of the two of us right now, which is saying a real lot. And then uh, a morbidly obese thing. Yeah, but that's not going to get you for at least 20 more years. (laughs) (laughs) So coming off a bye week, guys, uh, not a whole lot of new FSU football news to talk about. So this is going to be kind of a table setter for us to to talk about recruiting, uh, where that's at right now. That's why we have Newberg here. And we're going to take a handful of questions from you guys in a mailbag episode. So I'm not going to do as much talking other than me trying to read and stutter and stammer my way through that. And uh, and that's what we're going to do today. All right. So we're going to start off with questions from you guys regarding recruiting. Then we'll go into quarterback recruiting questions because there's so many of those. And then quarterback questions and then just general team questions. So here we go. When do I get to get my hot takes in? Um... Do you want to do that now? No, at the end, because otherwise, if I give my hot takes, people are just going to tune out. And also, it's you're going to be like a three minute podcast. You notice how I have the recruiting stuff up ahead, Josh, so that way you pay attention early on, and then once you get disconnected, we right. can just move on without you. You're always great after the coin flip, but you really struggle outside of the locker room in the second half. What'd you guys say? <laughs> All right. So the first question from Dmel. If we miss on Tibbs, that's Kayvon Thibodeau, do we roll uh, with a def- defensive end group of Fan, that's Curtis Fan, McClendon, Derek McClendon, and Fuller? Um, or is this, or is there another realistic target, uh, such as Summerall, Bogle, uh, anyone else that they are looking at that are long shots? So. I think they roll with the group that they have. Um, obviously, we know they're recruiting Summerall and Bogle still. Um, neither of them seem to be realistic options at this point. But, yeah, if they came around to FSU, they would absolutely take them. Um, and then after the season, I think that the staff will go, you know, knock on all the doors of the kids that are committed elsewhere and just see if they have interest and see if they can kind of double back on any of these guys. But I think they're, they're okay with the, the, the three that they have. Yeah, as the board is constructed right now, there's not anybody you can point to and say that's the next man up if they were to miss. But I think they feel like they're still in a pretty good spot with Kayvon, despite him having a great visit to Oregon. Cool. All right, so let's move on to another recruiting question. This one also from D-Mel. Uh, is Goolsby, that's Maurice Goolsby, wide receiver, still a take, or will grades take care of that for us? Um, I know grades are an issue. Is he still a take? Uh Let's just say I don't expect him in this class. Um, we've seen this play out countless times, nearly every class. I mean, he's on the commit list for now, but something's going to shake loose or something's going to happen. I don't know. I, I just I don't know exactly what the uh, exit strategy here is, but I don't think that he'll be signing with Florida State. Yeah, he's very much viewed as an afterthought in this class currently. He's never talked about, never really discussed. When they talk about wanting to bring receivers, he's not that guy. So, like, yeah, we'll see how it plays out over the next, what, four months or so between now and signing day. But he's very much an afterthought. He's not a guy. When they're talking about improving that group of receivers or talking about getting an elite guy, George Pickens type, Goolsby's name's not discussed in that conversation ever. Worth noting that that they love the wide receivers that they brought in in this class, and you've seen 
glimpses of it with Treshawn Harrison. I know they think highly of Keishon Helton. They think uh, Warren Thompson could be really, really good once he puts it together. Same with Jordan Young. Yeah, so they brought in five guys that they seem to have varying levels of, of likes towards. So I guess you know, if you don't love a wide receiver, uh, no need to force it in this yeah. class. That's a young room with a lot of options where they need you know maybe a slight upgrade with getting an elite guy who's ready to contribute outside immediately, but they don't need a lot of bodies. All right, moving on to Addison Williams' question. Uh, God, there's – I hate reading. I've read on the 24-7 the possible interests in pursuing JUCO off the line transfers for next year and the proposed targets. How hard is the staff going after these kids, or is it still on the drawing board? Assuming we get them, what does the offensive line look like in 2019, uh, bearing Putnam's unknown status? Uh, Josh, I'll, I'll defer to you on this one because you've written quite a bit about the JUCO offensive lineman so far. Yeah, um, hold on. I'm going to pull the article up right now just so I can speak on a few names. But just in general speaking, um, we see a lot of talk on the message boards about whether or not Florida State's offered these kids. Um, I don't think it really matters to say have they offered them or not. They're recruiting some of these guys as if they have offers. Um, you don't necessarily – you know, JUCO recruiting especially is a little bit different. I mean, these kids don't need to have, like, some official offer in their hand to converse with the FSU staff. The staff has been on a couple of these kids, like Anthony Wigan, the, the kid that's committed to Penn State, uh, Desmond Bland, who's committed to Nebraska, Bamidoli Olaseni, I'm not sure how you say that name, but he's been recruiting for a while now. Um, I know those three guys have been in contact with the FSU staff for a couple weeks. Um, FSU has need for immediate playing time. They can communicate with that with these kids. If the kids, you know, want to come in for a visit, FSU is more than open to take them. Just because they haven't necessarily tweeted out that they have an offer, or you know, I, I think that's just kind of elementary at this point. Yeah. FSU has an outstanding need for somebody that can come in and play right away, and that's what Ajuka wants to do. So, you know, I think. If anything, it's not like FSU is not making it public. They don't. They don't have a way to make it public, even if they could. Um, but I don't think they want to tip off Penn State or Nebraska or some of these other programs that you know they're coming after their commitments. So um, those are a couple of the names we could see more. Corey Luciano, who's committed to um, Washington. Corey Luciano. Dante Powell, who's committed to Washington State. Um, he's another possibility. There's there's more. Um, but we got to see who, who comes in on visits. And I don't expect that to happen until probably after the JUCO season is over, which is sometime, I believe, in like early November. Because nearly every JUCO plays on Saturday. So um, it's kind of hard for these kids to make visits during the season. Yeah, another thing to add on JUCO is that's pretty much the polar opposite of high school recruiting. There's not a long courtship. It's a, hey, we want you. This is what we can offer as far as playing time. Get the guy in. The guy will see if he likes it, see if the depth charts to his liking, see if the situation is correct for what he's looking for. Most of those guys are looking for at most two years and out, even if they have three years to play. So it's not about kissing ass and holding hands for a year and then making a decision at the end. It's about yeah. it's a business decision every meaning of that term. So, And FSU is not going to publicly talk a lot about or put it out privately that they're recruiting this kid or that kid until that kid shows up on campus. Right. I've been trying to dig on this for a long time. It's been hard to figure out who exactly they're on. Um, in the last week, you know, when I put that name out of 10 top JUCOs, uh, those were just the top most talented players. 
Um, but then the last week, we're kind of able to narrow down a few that actually have been in contact with FSU over the last couple weeks. So uh, they're doing it. I mean, we always say JUCO recruiting starts in October into November. And just like clockwork, JUCO recruiting is starting in October. So I, I, I think they're on the right road. I feel pretty confident this is going to be the worst episode ever. I called it early on. Why? I don't know. I think we're off to a rousing start. I mean, the audio for Josh is terrible. There's a disco going on next door with the tennis team. Uh, What's wrong with my audio? I just... You sound perfect, honey. Don't mind him. (laughs) Okay. Call him honey. Noel Duke asks, uh, what recruit or recruits do you think we signed that, as of today, uh, are not leaning toward FSU? So kind of surprises or uh, yeah if, I, if I, you love, guys I love those recording. questions my answer is I don't know if I thought a guy was going to sign with FSU right. I'd probably have my crystal ball on him I mean we report it yeah we report it all the time that's what we do uh, they just want you to throw out names of like big time names Sell that hope. are mystery recruits that can Josh give some hope should just troll Georgia again just say Justin Fields for the hell of it yeah. <laughs> I mean, how about some of the guys that are on the recruiting board that they don't have a great shot at? It'd be great if they could get in on Evan Neal, Nicobe Dean, Derek Hall, uh, George Pickens, uh, Quaveris Crouch. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that we know of that F- that would be great if FSU could get more heavily involved in, let alone guys we don't know of. I'm of the opinion Evan Neal of that bunch you just listed is most important. Of a high because school of offensive tackle. Yeah. He's probably yeah, able to contribute the most early on of a high school offensive tackle that they have a shot at. To me, he's a lot like Navon Donaldson was for Miami. Mm-hmm. He'll struggle some early in his career, but he'll play early but in his physically career. physically, he can hold And up. long-term, he's going to be a good one for you. All right. So, SC Seminole asks, and this is kind of in the same range, but uh, do you see us picking up any four- to five-star recruits? And if so, who do you think uh, – uh, who do you think any, he, he uh, a lock at this do you see this any, is why do you we see? shouldn't take. This is why we shouldn't take questions. They're terrible. Um, the whole episode yeah, is questions. Do, do we see them picking up any four or five star recruits? Um, probably a bunch. They got about ten spots remaining. Um, a five star would be nice if they could hold on to a Keen Dent. Um, Kayvon would be another Kayvon one. Kayvon Thibodeau. Outside Put, of that, Putnam. Um, He's four. I said four Putnam's or five star. A four star. I don't know. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna land ten more. They're gonna land ten more recruits. Um, if they didn't win another game, I think people just are nervous about the season. But if FSU didn't win another game, they're still going to sign ten more recruits. Um, so yeah, they're 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 in good shape for a lot of guys. And um, once the season's over, we'll see. I bet you we see the staff go back into recruiting mode, similar to how we did last year. And um, they'll they'll pick it up. They'll start their own momentum if they don't have any coming out of the season. Yeah, would it be better if they were, you know, looking at 10, 11 wins? Sure, that would yes. be a lot easier to sell kids. But some kids are going to buy into, oh, they're 5 and 7, 6 and 6, whatever they end up being. I can go in there and make an immediate impact and play. There will be kids you can sell that to. Are they going to have to move on to some plan Bs? Yeah, I think we've already yeah. seen that to some degree, especially at linebacker. But at the end of the day, they're still going to get a few guys because there are guys that are want to come play for FSU, and Willie and his staff are capable enough recruiters that can, they can sell the dream to those kids to come here and play. Right. You guys are no better than I would. I, I do feel like it's important. You mentioned the record, Chris. I feel like it's important for there at least to be a modicum of improvement, even if it's not you know getting six wins. Yeah, I, I think a kid like William Putnam specifically is looking at it. I think Tyler yeah. Davis is Tyler a kid Davis who wants anybody. to see 
not necessarily wins and losses, but capable. Yeah. Or do they look like a team that can get better, is getting better, will be better long term? Yeah. There has to be that for some guys. Wins and losses are, you know, kind of the end all be all. And some guys love that. Some guys don't care about that. But improvement, looking capable, looking like a program going in the right direction, those things certainly matter. Because they, they thought after the Miami game, it would have been great to be able to go on that bye week with oh, yeah. uh, that feather in your cap of having won. But I think they still felt good given that they showed progress. Yeah. This isn't the same team that it was against Virginia Tech or Syracuse. So but the issue for them is they now face a very difficult back half of the season. For so sure. All right. So cautious whale. And this will be the last question we have just on straight up general recruiting. Asks, why do people think we'll end up with a top 15, 20 class when Georgia landed a top three class when they went seven and five and Barley, not barely, beat Nicholas State. And this was back with uh, the Kirby first year. Kirby. Yeah, first year with Kirby. Well, I mean, if you look at it right now, they're sitting at number 10. They're right at number 10. Um, if they land Kayvon Thibodeau, then, yeah, then I could see them in the top 10, maybe closing in on a top five class. But if they don't land Kayvon, I don't feel like they have a great shot at Evan Neal. I mean, where's the star power going to be? to lift them into the top five or, you know, even into the top 10 when it's all said and done. Um, I think maybe a class, if they don't land Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe a class around 12, 13 is probably more realistic, 14, somewhere in that range. Um, I just think it comes down to star power and where they're at right now. I, I, I can't project a top seven, eight finish unless they are able to land some, some power recruits. Yeah, to add to that point, I think it's important for them to land somebody like a Thibodeau or somebody of that sort who's going to be vocal, who's going to get out there and be a recruiter. They need that. They need the guy that convinces a high-level four, potential five-star type player that, hey, buy in. You know, coaches are telling me it, but my peer, a kid my age, the same kid that's going to play at the same program I'm thinking of going to play, he's telling me that. I think it's very important. I think it's something that FSU is missing currently in this class. There's guys that are vocal. Dante Lucas comes to mind always. But there's not a guy who is literally like the voice of reason that a lot of kids will just buy in solely because he's saying it. I think Thibodeau can be that guy or someone of that cloth. Yeah, and Thibodeau plans on making his decision in November so he could influence the early December uh, signees as well. So, yeah, I, I think I really think, I guess, Kayvon Thibodeau, whether or not he's in or out of the class determines whether they're a top five, six, seven, eight class or 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range. All right, let's uh, let's go on to quarterback recruiting. Uh, in the first two questions, I'm going to blend them both. One's from Seminole Big Dog and Ryan Nagats about graduate transfer quarterback. So uh, one asked about any buzz about Kelly Bryant having interest in here. Another one says, is Hertz, that's Jalen Hurts from Alabama, interested in FSU, and are they interested in him? Uh, so I'll let you guys kind of take I haven't heard, I haven't heard specific buzz of a graduate transfer looking here, but I think it makes sense for FSU at the end of the year to be in that market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think um, – I mean, Jalen Hurts is still playing for Alabama and hasn't said he's transferring at all. Um, I haven't heard anything on Kelly Bryant, but Florida State's not going to – they're just going to see what's available after the season. I think, like Chris said, it makes sense for them to kind of look at all of their options um, and see if they can improve the team. But I think, you know, you just got to wait and see what's available after the season. Yeah, and, you know, FSU is going to get Sam Howell on campus first before I think they worry about anything uh-huh. as far as the second move at quarterback. 
Yeah, you got to get that guy in line first, then you don't want to do anything to compromise yeah. the future in the long term for a one-year and he's, Band-Aid. he's an early enrollee, so you wait till early January, and then you you know kind of go out for the finish line. The people clamoring for like the, the graduate transfer quarterback, I understand the, the idea for the need of it based on what you've seen this year, but you know, FSU's played Alabama and Clemson with those guys at quarterback, and did either one really scare you? It was more the supporting cast. They both can run read option and that stuff, but I, I don't know. I, don't, I think people I'm, view it as – Taking Kelly Bryan, put him in place of DeAndre Francois. Or taking Jalen Hurts, put him in place of DeAndre Francois. I think at the end of this season, that's not how FSU needs to view the future of their offense. It's not about replacing DeAndre Francois. It's about getting the right quarterback in there to run the system with one on one. And that's having Sam Howell is far more important to me than than anything that you're getting no, no. grad transfer. So speaking of Sam Howell, this is from Nate Thunder Gotti. Uh, what is the deal with Howell? I know he's not a generational talent, but he could compete for the gig first year on campus. Uh, is he an early enrollee? Yes. Uh, listen to the podcast all the way up in New York. Keep up the good work, fellas. You like that? Thank you for Plug. listening. Yeah. Howell is Thunder. a Thank very you. good player who has a very good head on his shoulders, who's physically capable of com- contributing very early in his career. I certainly think he could play next year. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I, I, you know, he, he's planning to be an early enrollee. As long as all that goes through and is good, then – I think he's fully capable of competing and, and possibly winning the starting job. Um, he's physically there, mentally there, so just got to make sure he gets on campus. Yeah, and you take your lumps with a guy like that next year because you're going to take lumps either which way, regardless of who's under center. Be- right. Before we got to talking about the quarterbacks, you, you were talking about the having someone vocal in this in this recruiting class, and that doesn't exist. I mean, you have the Dante Lewis to an extent. It exists, but not to the extent you need when you're last going year such you a had Last year you had Amari Gaynor who helped keep it together. The year before you had Stanford Samuels who did a really good job at All-Star Games. You had those vocal guys who were vocal for a long time. I don't know if that exists. And maybe Josh I think disagrees. Dante, Lucas, and Nick Cross are doing a good job. Yeah, yeah I forgot about Nick, Nick Cross. Nick That's has, a good point. Um, I, I think you got two guys right there that are really kind of carrying the torch and then – yeah, you got some others chipping in here and there. Curtis Fan and uh, True Thompson yeah, Curtis is doing and some other job. guys. I guess my point being, wouldn't it be great to have your blue chip quarterback recruit be be that guy? Right, and that's why I, you know, I just still I can't tell you that where he's going to go or what's going to happen. But I just think there's something still there with Sam Howell, something to keep an eye on. Just some uncertainty with what's going on. Ooh, how's that for, for foreshadowing or ominous? That's I think at the end of the day, he signs with FSU as long as Walt Bells uh, That makes the most sense. Um, but, yeah, the fact that it's that he's not being the rah-rah guy for this class, I think, makes me unsettled. I don't think that's him, though. No, that's fine, but I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. All right. I'll move off of it. Quarterback play in general, we got a handful of questions on this. Current quarterback play? Yep. Oh, I get to take a deep dive on this? Yay. Mr. D. Okay, which would we, which would, would you – oh, my God, Brendan. Which would you want? The current quarterback room plus how or how another backup recruit and a graduate transfer? So how's Wait, in the, what? Okay, so, how, so basically do you want, do you want do DeAndre you want? Francois, James Blackman, and how next year? Or do you want how a graduate transfer and then another incoming freshman to kind of add, what, like an athletic guy to, to – basically do you want and to if, if the overhaul? Grad transfer, if the grad transfer is not, not starting, then that's a huge mistake. Yeah. I, you're not going to be able to get a Jalen Hurts or Kelly Bryant without assurances that right. they are going to start. And you don't want a grad transfer sitting on the bench. Uh, you know, it's just not – that's not a good locker room. 
that's not a good situation. I think it's beneficial to have guys who have been in the system, who understand the system, who can explain the system and run it in practice, even if the next guy is a guy that's better at running that system. It is. Which I feel Howell is compared to anybody currently in that quarterback room. I think it's important, though, to have the guys that push him who, you know, know how practice operates and things like that. If you're going completely starting anew, uh, that's a hell of a lot on your plate. Yeah. So I'm going to go – so to answer the question, I guess I'm going to go with current room plus Howell. Yeah, that's Uh, how Because I think in that situation, Howell starts – yeah, and without knowing who the grad transfer is, like – We've been we've been kind of down this road before, where we thought Golson was going to be the guy, and it really takes a special quarterback to be a grad transfer on a one year deal to come in and make a big difference. It's got to be a real special quarterback. So I, I, I'd go with the current room plus plus Hal. Now that I think about it, I I would do, uh, and I don't even know if this room is. It's a good question. Though. It, like is. it is. It is. <laughs> basically, are are you in favor of a of a clean slate or? Uh, what you have now, which uh, quite frankly hasn't worked all that well, which brings us to the next question. Right. Who is FSU starting quarterback against Boise State next year? Uh, and, well, and that's from Semichol, who also adds, say Sam Howell, please. Well, without <laughs> seeing James Blackman in the system, I would go Howell. But my, my opinion could change. Just It could change if we see Blackman this season. Yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced Francois is here next year, so I'm going to go Sam Howell. In yeah. that situation. I'm I'm not convinced that DeAndre is here next year either. Uh, I'll go with James Blackman. I think to start to start the season. Could be. Um, but more likely than oh, never mind. Uh, no, I'll put it out there. Do you think DeAndre is more likely to be at Florida State next year than than not? Oh man, I. I... <laughs> see Chris needs body language. You want me to well, stay think... on a crystal ball? That's tough to forecast. Well, I, think there's, said, I think there's, there's a, a real possibility he's not here next year. Now, where the heck is he? I'm not sure. Like, I'm not projecting him to the NFL or to transfer here or transfer there. Texas I'm just not entirely convinced he's at FSU next year. And I'm not entirely convinced FSU is expecting him to be here next yeah. year either. I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, that's kind I, of where I'm I think he gets it. benched at some point between now and the end of the season, and that's the probably the end of it for him at FSU. Um I think they need to see what they have in Blackman. I think they need to make the switch at some point. But with the way the schedule is cut out, it's like, geez, where do you throw Blackman in at? If it's not Wake Forest, which we know it's not going to be, at least him starting the game against Wake Forest. Uh, my bad, guys. David Anderson asked, should we expect DeAndre Francois quarterback <laughs> next year? So I could have just asked yeah. it in that context. There you go, David. That was an uncomfortable, funny answer for all of us. <laughs> all right. Now two more questions about the quarterback uh, situation. One from T. Will with a uh, turnover backpack emoji and another one from Johnny Null and actually another one from D-Mel, and they're all kind of in the same realm, so I'm going to just paraphrase here. Uh, did James Blackman essentially not look – did he look that bad in the preseason to not warrant a look at this point in the season when the offense hasn't seemingly worked smoothly under DeAndre Francois? He got off to a really slow, poor start in the preseason. Yeah. Kind of put him in third in most people's views, the way we understand it, what we were told. Um, now, do you give him a shot? Yeah, I'm at, you're 3-3, three and, three and you've got six really – well, 
four really difficult games on the back end of your schedule in six games. But if you're not counting. giving them a start against Wake Forest, where do you give them a when start? You're not doing it against Clemson. Yeah, I mean, Boston College not, would be the next You're going to do it on the road likely. at Notre Dame? <laughs> no. At NC State? Right. But I, I, I am interested if – I'm not – we've shared this on a previous spot. I'm not of the opinion that Blackman goes and changes the dynamics of what this season will be very much at all. But I am interested if it would give the team a slight shot in the arm per se and if the offense may find a bit of a rhythm and a groove that it hasn't found through six games. Well, at this point, like I, I don't think a lot of people want to hear it, but you're very much so building – for the future, and that's obvious with the the record of where but you're it, at. Is that obvious to the staff that's coaching? That I don't think they've acted that way. I, I don't think so either. They've done well, the opposite to where they they've shortened, shortened rotations. Their work. Yep, exactly. Yep. Well, to to Chris's point about DeAndre and James, and how James won't affect the trajectory of this program in 2018, I fully agree with that. I don't. I'm not saying that James Blackman should be the starter. Uh, because FSU is going to win more games with him as the starter. I think you need to start James Blackman because there's a great chance that Francois is not back next year. And now, wouldn't it be great to know at least what you have in James Blackman within this offense? Um, so when Sam Howell comes in, you can compare what you're seeing from Sam in spring and, and preseason to what you saw from Blackman in these games in 2018. So I think it's more important just to kind of build for the future and see what you have. I, I want to be fair to, like, DeAndre. Not all the problems with the offense are on him. Oh, not in close. Um, but if you're not making that better, and you and I talked about this on the last podcast, Chris, I'd like to get your thoughts, Josh. If you're not making that offense better at that position, then you got to look at something else because that's too important of a role to have to not be enhancing. Uh, that's that's my thought. If you're a number 120 overall offense with that guy at quarterback, you have to at some point at least explore what it looks like with anyone else, even if you don't think it makes a huge difference uh, because you need to see what you have for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Great. I think that's what it comes down to. Great, great follow-up, Josh. <laughs> uh, and one other question before we move on here that was asked, this is from DML, with this all in mind with, with Blackman. Uh, basically, do you think Taggart is hesitant to move – James Blackman because he can't afford to have Francois walk away from the team and be left with one scholarship quarterback. That's talking about an in-season move, and, and I don't think any of yeah. us have heard that to be a, a legitimately the case, but I think that's the concern why you don't make that move. Yeah, yeah. If, he, if he moves on from Francois, you're done with Francois, yeah. in my opinion. I, I think that's how that plays out. Yeah. So if you make that decision, you got to be willing to accept the outcome of that decision. Mm-hmm. And that leaves you with one scholarship quarterback. Right. I think the poster nailed it. I mean, I think the only thing that I can point to is that hesitation, which makes sense. I mean, DeAndre Francois showed you what type of kind of leader, locker room person he was last year when he was injured. Um, If you take him out and bench him for Blackman, yeah, I think, you know, at that point, that's probably the last snap. I don't think there's any going back, any way you can go back. Well, and then there's also the residuals of that, too, Uh, that maybe a lot of people don't think about, like Juan Murray being one of DeAndre Francois' best friends and Jacques West Patrick. Right. I'm not saying that those guys don't continue to try hard, but you take away a good friend out of the out of that position, you run the risk of them becoming disinterested. Again, I don't think that, especially with Quez, like I don't think that's what happens, but that's there's moving parts when you make a decision like that. It's not just you replace one guy with another and you maybe lose that one guy. There, yeah. there are consequences to it too that I think that the staff 
is probably vetting and weighing right now. Plus, one other thing is with Francois, you know you have the vertical passing ability. That's one thing the offense can do that you've done to some level of success. Mm -hmm. With Blackman, you don't know what you'll have. You've not seen him in this offense in a game situation. Blackman's a little sporadic as a passer. He makes some really good ones, but he'll... uh, he'll So so do you just try to play out the next six by doing the one thing you know you're good at, or do you try to get better as a whole by making a shift and a change and seeing where it takes you? Doesn't necessarily mean the results will be better. They could truthfully be even worse. You could still be awful at running the ball, diminish the deep ball threat that you've had, and not really improve in any other department, and you're way up that creek. I'm I'm, I'm laughing because I think the conversation that we're having and how tough it is to come with a 100% clear answer, imagine what a coaching staff has to go through and weigh, even having even more information to weigh. So, anyways, we good with quarterback talk and move on next, next round. Good, Josh? Yeah. All right. General team program questions. Uh, two here, and they address what are pretty recent rumors uh, that have been on our message board, and I think is, it's worth us having the conversation to share and be transparent what we know, what we don't know, and it's regarding Cam Akers. Uh, Konyak, Kognak, no, ask, are there rumors? Cam's want to transfer for real. Videotape engineer asks, will Cam Akers be at FSU next season? Uh, where do these originate? I know there are some on the Ole Miss message board. I got a text from somebody associated with Texas A&M coverage that asked me about are we a potential landing spot if he was to leave. So there's it's an, out there. There's it's enough circulating. smoke there. I think we have to talk about it. Here. Well, and I spoke about it on my Facebook Live yesterday just in terms of um, – The Knowles 24-7 Facebook Live. Yeah, not – I didn't say – I think it was just in answering a question, somebody asked me about Cam's performance and – the offense, and I just said he looks miserable out there, which yeah. I think we can all agree. Yes, um, he's not effective, which we can all agree. Yes. So I think half of it, you know, I think there's part truths to it, but I think most of it is just people connecting the dots right now. Yeah. Because I know for a fact Cam has not gone to the staff and informed the staff or anybody on the team that he's leaving. So when you say, "Are the rumors true?" I mean, are there rumors out there? Hell yeah, there are rumors out there. But are they based on any fact right now? Mm, not right now. Okay, someone's hammering. Yeah, I, I agree with Josh on that. I think the other thing with Cam is that, well, it's kind of far-fetched to say it because of the struggles he's having this season. He came into college as a three-year-and-out guy. Transferring puts a you know stop to that. Why transfer? Why not just play out the string of another 18 games and then move on to what you want to do next? He has that freshman film. One would presume at some point it gets somewhat better for him in the backfield. But is he frustrated right now? There's no doubt. You can look at his body language and practice and tell he's frustrated. When you talk to him in interview sessions on a Tuesday, you can tell he's frustrated. Much he of that, tweets that he's frustrated. Yeah, I mean, much of that offense is frustrated, though. Does he run and jump ship? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day when conversations are had with him, his parents, people that matter within that circle, that you know, common sense kind of prevails and he ends up staying. Truth is, he was frustrated last year with the offense, and that was with a different coaching staff. For different reasons, he's frustrated this year. After a while, you have to kind of look in the mirror and say, why am I continually frustrated in this situation? Either it's not a good place for you to be in or it's something you're doing to contribute to it. you got to figure that out. Uh, I will say, as far as him transferring, I don't think we've heard that that's imminent by any means. Uh, we just know that he's, he's frustrated. And when you're losing or not succeeding or living up to your potential, like yeah, then I think that it makes sense why you are frustrated. That's all logical. Uh, to what both yeah. of you guys said, him transferring, though, uh, I, 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 
and, and, yeah. Unless he's going back to Mississippi and gets like a hardship waiver or something like that, then it doesn't make any sense uh, to sit out a year when you're on that three-year path. So uh, it seems highly unlikely at this point. We're mid-October. And in speaking to a couple of people that are close to that group that knows what Cam thinks and does, none of them have made it sound like a transfer is likely. Most of the talk from them is simply frustration. And the truth is Cam needs to play better himself. But it gets frustrating running behind a Swiss cheese offensive line that's no good. So I get where the frustration on his end comes. But he can also play better. Mm-hmm. There are plays left out there through six games this year that are on Cam Akers and not on the block and not on the people in front of him. He has one, one run of 20-plus yards this season. That was in the opener at 85-yarder where he got shoestring tackled and scored a touchdown. So. He hasn't done anything special this year. Does he get a magic elixir, play a good game, feel a lot better about himself, and the ball gets rolling downhill for him? Maybe. Potentially. If it's happening, <coughs> if it's, happening it's this week against Wake, right. Wake Forest, uh, terrible run defense. So, yeah, if they start winning, he starts performing well. All of that goes away. That's yep. how, but that's how fragile college football is in, in the environment yeah. of all the transfers. If he was transferring, I don't think we would have seen him at FSU after week four this year. I agree. I agree. And I did walk out to practice after week four this <laughs> year to make sure he was definitely that, there. So. That's what, like, the disgruntled, like, him not being happy hasn't – again, that's not new. It's just yeah. it's being added on with each performance where he's averaging three and a half yards of carry instead of five and a half. Oh. All right. PH Null wants to know, if given truth serum – okay – uh, with hindsight, uh, what would Willie Taggart or staff say? Either A, they underestimated the job, such as team, administration, or school, or B, uh, what would he say that he wished he slash they, the staff, I guess, would have handled differently or could have improved on as a head coach and a staff? Uh, basically asking for Willie Taggart in hindsight what we think he would have done differently or, or approached differently at this job. I think they were shell-shocked by how god-awful the offensive line is, and I think if they could go back and do it again, they would try to bring in some quick fixes, band-aids, short-term, to try to rectify and remedy that situation more than they were able to do so at the end of the recruiting cycle last year. I think that's where the conversation starts. There's plenty of other little things to nitpick. But I think ultimately 3-3, three and three, Willie saying, you know, the record's worse than I expected. I think it all goes back to that. I agree with everything Chris said. I think the staff just – it's not that they over-projected or over-hyped. I just think that, like Chris said, they were shell-shocked with how poorly this offensive line performed and the fact that it wasn't even about scheme at that point. It was just about getting the foundation set and – um, we've seen improvement in the offensive line. There's no doubt about it. If you go back and watch those first couple games, the offensive line has improved. They need to get much better. It's not going to get much better uh, before the season's over. And um, they've got to deal with it. I, I do think playing the public relations game, going off of what Josh said, I, I'm of the belief that Willie probably would have handled it differently had he known the offensive line was as bad as it, as it actually has turned out to be. And some of that's been injuries. That, that certainly hasn't helped, but he was talking about on the booster tours all summer how the offensive line was going to be in good shape, how they were going to be fine there. Uh, didn't really temper any expectations with that unit. Uh, could have really helped those guys out a little bit more in a way he went about it. God, this disco in the knocking next door is amazing. Um, one other thing that I think, you know, Chris mentioned shell shock. I think with this team, when they started off poorly, if they had to go back and do it over again, I think the coaching staff wouldn't have panicked. And I think they did panic in hindsight with their scheme. They started shortening the wide receiver rotation. Willie has talked before he regrets going away from going up tempo. They struggled with tempo early. There was too many false starts or misalignments. 
uh, and they went away from it. And he thought that was maybe more detrimental in hindsight than just kind of sticking through and powering with it, powering through with it. I think if that's something they could have redone, uh, taken those lumps early on in the year, knowing you're three and three now, and you probably would have been three and three even if you went went through those learning curves, uh, you'd be further ahead right now. I think that's one thing that, that I've gotten a vibe that they would have liked to have done a tad differently. I think it's tough for them, though, to decide whether or not are you playing the short game of trying to win that Saturday, that game, or the long game of building a program. Sure. I think they certainly would prefer to play the long game, but you also want to win games. So I think it's very much a tussle with that. There's things we see where they're playing the long game, clearly, but there's other instances where they've certainly gone away from it. It's tough. I think... You know, I, I think we've made the argument on the podcast that you got to play a short game. you got to try to win Saturday. That's what ultimately matters, and then worry about the next Saturday. But also, you know, as you move on this year, you got to figure out basically are you willing to sacrifice an ability of making a bowl game potentially, or are you playing to try to win enough games to get a bowl game? That's where you're at at midway point of this year. I'm at the point where you play the long game. I think the, the faster you can expedite the growing process with some of these younger guys, the better. And if you miss a bowl game as part of it, you know what? Getting some of the guys out of the program that you don't think are helping a couple weeks earlier may not be the worst thing in the world. How's that for a hot take? I think that's fair. All right, we lost Josh again. No, I'm here. I, no, I, I meant like men, I like mentally we lost you. No, Emotionally. Okay. Boston Null asks, uh, does the bye week give the staff a chance to reset and see what they have in some freshmen? I guess what we just talked about specifically Harrison and Gaynor. Uh, I know Gaynor broke his foot, but is he close to contributing on defense as the year goes on? I never really expected Gaynor to contribute that much as a freshman. So I don't know if he contributes. And then you complicate that with the the injury. So never really did there. But I have been told that, you know, they're going to work Trayshawn Harrison in more coming out of the bye. We'll see if that's true or not. We've we've heard that in years past as well about, coming out of bye weeks and seeing changes but sometimes you do sometimes you don't but the way Trayshawn Harrison's touched the ball and um, I think that's he's the one guy I think you could point to that needs to get worked in more coming out of the bye yeah I think you also got to take a look at guys like Anthony Grant I think a guy like Dennis Briggs can give you some reps at DN give you as much as Wally's given you to this point in the season I think there's a few others those young DBs have been kind of worked into the fold and performed admirably at times um I don't think we see any young offensive linemen. I don't think any of them are ready for prime time, despite the woes of that group as a whole. But, yeah, I think there's a few guys where you get them some at-bats and put them in situations to do some things. You know who a young guy is who I'm actually excited about? That well, He's not going to play, but you mentioned an offensive lineman. I don't think he's going to play this year. Chaz Neal has been kind of a pain in practice the last couple of days. Like He lets people know when he hits them. He's gotten commended for at least being willing to be physical. We're working with a really low baseline here with expectations with the offensive line, but I'm encouraged that there's actually someone there. He looks like in a couple of years he may be able to give you some reps that are solid, I will, which is better than where we were a year ago at this point with Chris's evaluation. I, I will crack up when Chaz Neal turns into a first-round pick. It'll just be the greatest moment of, like, what the hell happened here. You guys we should see, all quit our jobs at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I'll hopefully, I'll, I'm not, hopefully I'm not in this industry when I Who is it that one time said, I'll eat my hat? That's basically where I'll be at with Chaz Neal. Like, if that happens, I'll go buy a hat and eat it. <laughs> he has looked better, though, right? Have you seen him in practice? He's actually yeah, he's better. willing. The funny thing with Chaz is he's one of the guys who's willing to actually be physical with the line. That's it, what it's I'm saying. It's amazing so often Greg Fry's trying to incite those guys to be physical, mean people. Mike Arnold comes to mind, and it kind of comes natural to Chaz. 
But I think that's also the defensive mentality he has in his bones seeping over to the offensive side of the ball. Take whatever you can at this point. Uh, Brian Ollie says, let's see. Given all the info we have now, how is it that Jimbo oh God, how is it that Jimbo is able to let a team like FSU fall off so far and then go to AM and recruit like nothing happened? Is it not known how he let this team fall apart? Have you guys ever heard of John Calipari? I, I don't think people care. Like I I don't think the storyline of what FSU's become is something that stays attached to Jimbo outside of the people that are right. FSU feeling fans that it, are yeah. feeling it. Yeah. Like I, I don't I think, think anybody college in college station cares. Shut up, Chris. College football <laughs> cyclical anyway. I mean, got programs rise and fall, and there's a lot of times when programs rise, they don't even win a national championship. So the fact that Jimbo was able to win a national championship at FSU, I mean, is it a shock that the program fell? Like that's name a program that hasn't fallen outside of Alabama. They all come up on hard times. So it's hard to um, ask people to, to continue to badger Fisher about what happened at FSU when it's just part of the deal, man. And, and he probably he probably made a good move and he knew when to get out. He's also recruiting with a much better staff at Texas A&M in year one than he was at FSU last year. Yeah. Hey, Which is all on him, but it is what it is. Do you guys remember right. when he yelled at all of us for writing that the team quit against Boston College and then he quit on the team like three weeks later? It's a good human being. No. SC Seminole asked, which upset is more likely, NC State or Notre Dame on the road or Clemson at home? Uh, so any of those three games? I think NC State's the most ripe of those three. Sure. Um, their offense has been kind of underwhelming for what was expected of them with Ryan Finley returning. I think some of that is losing Jalen Samuels. He was such a big, pivotal piece of their offense. And running Truthfully, their defense has been a big surprise about how good it's been. Um, but I think out of those three, that's how I would rank it. Notre Dame's been kind of an up-and-down team. When they've played well this year, they've been really good, and they've played pretty poorly in a few games, especially against lesser opponents. I think Ball State was one of those and also a game prior to Pitt, Ball State. Pitt this past weekend, yeah. they were trailing most of that game. So, you know, they're not unbeatable. I don't think FSU can contend with Clemson because of the line of scrimmage. Good answer, Josh. Uh, Clemson, I think, is the only <laughs> one that I would say, like, less than 5% chance for Florida State for the reasons you said, Chris, that, that, that defensive line. Against Florida State's offensive line, uh, certainly on paper seems like it would be problematic. You can go up to Notre Dame and win. You can go up to NC State and win. A lot of that's on Florida State figuring out its own stuff on offense, but neither of those teams are – the dude is literally moving plants right now. Yeah, I'm just checking all my plants. Okay, which kind of plants? Trusting the process asked, we have constantly said that the offensive line is really bad. It's true. With them being all scholarship players, does that go back to bad evaluation at the time of offer or lack of development with these guys? Yes. Yeah, it's yes. all of the above. And they, attrition. Don't forget attrition. Yeah. yeah. They did a poor job of building a true depth chart over the years and developing it in order and allowing guys to mature within the system and be ready to start when it was their time to start. Brady Scott is a guy thrown into the fire um, and truthfully has done pretty well for being thrown into the fire. Mike Arnold probably needs more time to develop. He definitely more, needs more time mentally to be, you know, committed to the game than he is. He, there are things he are, he's still thinking about six games into this season that are basic fundamentals of the offensive line, like being physical off the snap. I mean, when your O-line coach is telling you the week before Miami that, you know, hey, you're supposed to fire off the ball and hit that guy, that's a little concerning after five games of the season. 
confounding that he's the like he started every game. Yeah, they I haven't know. found a better option than Mike Arnold. So it, I think long term, yeah, he'll he could be fine. Uh, he's playing in and over his head. It seems like this season. Um, with the offensive line recruiting and evaluation, like I I wrote this earlier in the year, people that make it as cut and dry as they haven't recruited well offensive line, they've gone a lot of high value targets over the years. They haven't gotten elite five star guys, but like Abdul Bello was a highly co- like he was a commodity. Now they've done a poor job with some projection of finding guys that was right for their their previous system with with Trickett and Jimbo Fisher and spreading scholarships out over years and, and bunching them up where you get five or six guys in one class and then one in another. Yeah, four um, to five every year. Yeah. Multiple positions. Some guys with versatility play more than one position. Develop them, build a depth chart. The issue is when you, when you don't do that, like you laid out, Chris, they uh, – if you have a bad class, then if that class is like the one, like say this current one where Landon Dickerson's had injury issues, Jawan Williams hasn't developed, Josh Ball is no longer on campus, well, then you're SOL because you didn't develop beyond it. Yeah, and uh, you relied so heavily on so many numbers in that, in one, that class, one class, in that class field. Yeah. I agree with Chris and what you guys had to say, but I think the attrition hurts. I mean, I don't know how many of those guys that they recruited that they knew weren't going to make it. Like maybe Vaselli you could maybe point to. But it was just some bad luck along with some bad evaluations, along with some poor development, and now you have a perfect storm for what we're seeing. All right. Sticking with the offensive line, D-Mel asks about Cole Minshew uh, and whether he's someone who can take some snaps at, at center uh, now with Everly going next year. Um, he's worked some there in pregame. I think he's worked as third-team center in pregame snaps, working with Nolan McDonald at quarterback. So, yeah, he's capable of doing it. But – you're, you know, pulling a bandaid off one wound to fix another. So, truthfully, the yeah. better thing for them would be getting somebody who's a capable center in the recruiting class, and maybe having to throw them in the fire. I think Putnam's probably the first name that comes to mind in that department. But you're talking about a freshman center. I don't know if there's one starting in college football right now this year who's a true freshman center. Right. And I don't the, know if there is either. And the fact that Baby on Johnson hasn't materialized into someone who can even give you quality snaps. Yeah, right, and, and the thing with Babyon, people say, well, why not throw in Babyon? I, I know we don't know everything, but now you're looking at two staffs that had major issues at center and did not choose to go to Babyon Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. I think ECU has a true freshman center who's going to start this week because their other one got injured. And I know our uh, I think 24-7 national people were trying to find a center for the net for the freshman team Yeah, and had to – put out an email to every team site to ask if they had a freshman starting at center. So yeah. you might be right. There might be literally one. Tough position to play, especially yeah. for a young guy. You're kind of quarterbacking the offensive line there. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe with Cole, you, you can give looks at him next year. I, I don't know. I'm, there's so many issues in the offensive line. I don't know how you start to, to fix them in one season. It's uh, Right. And then when, you're, but to answer when, the you're, question. when your answer is a true freshman, I mean, that's, that's – that's a risky answer. Sure. To a, yeah, to answer to a the question, question, could Cole do it? Yeah, Cole could do it. All right. Last question that we have here, and then we'll let Josh do his hot takes and goes from Ivan. Why are you so bad at sticking to landing? That was at me. Screw you, Ivan. And why do you hate every single player? I, I don't hate everyone. I don't hate – I like most of the players. Who do I hate? I don't think – hate's a strong word. I hated Jimbo at the end. Yeah. 
You did. And more in hindsight, too. The more you see how dysfunctional it is. Anyways, Josh, hot takes. Go for it. Uh, I think my hot takes were wrapped up in the Francois needs to be benched for Blackman. Um, yeah, I think that, that was probably the hottest of my takes. I uh, got scorching stuff in. But, scorching um, hot takes, Josh. Really. I don't know what else you guys want from me. I just wanted you, everybody to listen to Brendan stick the landing. Which he's never done in his life. He's not going to start now. One quick thing, go read Brendan's Janarius Robinson story. Sadly lost. His family lost pretty much everything with the hurricane. There's a GoFundMe there if you feel the need. Throw a little money his family's way. I think it's important. Good people. Mom's a very nice person. Janarius is a great kid. Um, a tough situation for him and for everybody else involved with that west of us. And for the sake of humanity, like check out his GoFundMe page. Even if you're not going to donate to it, that, that's fine. That would help him. But just to get an idea of what it looks like on the ground level. Yeah, um, there's, there's a picture of all of Janarius's college letters, Florida State, Georgia, Florida, and just in ruins on the ground with, with debris all over them. And it, it's heartbreaking. His piano, and he's known for playing his piano, is just covered by fallen wall. It, it's tough. So, uh, yeah, if you want to give the story a read, but definitely go on to GoFundMe page. Just a good idea of what he's going through, and it just kind of shows what so many people in our region have dealt with this past week. Yeah, and the FSU Alumni Association also sent out an email, and on onefsu.edu, I believe it is, they also have links to different ways to give, whether it's money, blood, uh, second harvest, food bank, different stuff like that. So if you're looking for a way to help through FSU or towards somebody associated with FSU, those are two good resources. All right. Guys, thanks for joining me today. Everyone, thank you for listening. I know this was a little clunkier than usual, but been a long week for Chris and myself. Clunky is what we do. We specialize in clunky. <laughs> uh, but anyways, thank you for listening, bearing with us. Josh, thanks for joining uh, and not hanging up on us on five FaceTime like 10 times in a row uh, to make me have to edit more when this is done. Much appreciated. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Five-star reviews if you like us. Five-star reviews if you don't. We just hung up on Josh. I love it. This is Brendan Sinone. Stick in the landing.